0: When you talk about fear, fear is something that, if we're not careful, can consume us. Worry and anxiety is something that can plague us every day. And so the question is, is there a way to control it? What does God have to say about it, and what can we do with what he says? So we're going to talk about it for the next couple of weeks. And it makes sense because, of course, next Sunday is... Halloween, and uh, and so we're gonna you know celebrate here. Our kids are gonna have a, a party uh, down the hall, and uh, of course we have a party every Sunday in here. And uh, so hope you'll plan on coming, and uh, feel feel free to no don't don't dress up in your favorite costume because I don't know what that would entail. Um, but uh, anyways, we'll have a good time for the next couple of weeks as we deal with this thing called fear. And, and here's the deal. Um, the commercialization of fear is big bucks, in case you're wondering. Do you remember, maybe you kind of grew up in my era, where Halloween was, you know, like a Thursday night special of Charlie Brown and some big pumpkin. Um, the Great Pumpkin Patch or something like that, they, they waited for, you know, uh, the Halloween pumpkin to come. He and Linus, and then maybe you'd have a party at school where you could wear your costume, you know, and and you'd walk through the halls, no idea, Um, and and then you'd go trick-or-treating, and that was it. Uh, It was just, you know, you had three days, bam, done. Now, it's kind of like Christmas. Somewhere around the middle of August, right, you start seeing stuff go up, and now there's decorations you can put on your lawn. There's lights that you can put up on your house. There are all kinds of things that you can buy and purchase. The candy comes out in droves, and, I mean, we do, praise God, of course, for the Reese's little pumpkins that come out, but um, <laughs> little shops come in, you know, they, they rent stores for, like, three months to sell costumes. It's just crazy. And uh, haunted houses sell tickets like they're Lions games, you know? You can buy them online, and then there's some that have, like, a, a money-back guarantee. If you make it through, the whole haunted house we will give you your money back, Okay. No thanks. (laughs) I'll just tell you what. I'm going to hang on to my money and you keep your haunted house. I am not really into haunted houses. The last legitimate haunted house I went into, I think I was in seventh grade. And, uh... The only reason I went is because the youth group went, and I was the pastor's kid, so I had to. Plus, there was this girl named Leah there, and I was kind of infatuated with her, so I had to be all brave. Uh, but I, like about halfway through, I'm like, God, if you get me out of here, I'll never go in again. Um, I'm not even a huge fan of the Haunted Mansion at Disney World, okay? Uh, that's about the limit for me. But I must be missing out on something, because it's an $8 billion a year industry, 8 billion with a B it's huge huge here's a question why why if we don't want to live in fear if we don't want fear to control us why in the world do we pay so much to be afraid to celebrate fear and I'm sure that there's all kinds of reasons that we could come up with, but let me, let me give you one that I've thought of. And This might be a little heavy kicking off the service, but maybe you can relate a little bit. I wonder, I wonder if the reason why in the past couple of decades it's become such a big deal is because we have control over how it ends. You don't mind being afraid when you can grab a bag of popcorn and have a coke and you know that at some point it's going to say the end and they'll roll the credits and you'll walk out of the theater. You maybe don't mind going through the haunted house because you know at some point there's an exit. You will get out, okay? That There is an end game and with so much of the fear and the worry and the anxiety that plagues us as individuals, we're not sure how it ends. We don't, have, we don't have that finale written out. And so maybe we like to get on the ride and go in the house and play dress-up because we know at least there's a conclusion. A couple of years ago, we did a series... Um, called, uh, well, it was kind of related to Stranger Things, the series that was on Netflix, and we called it Living in the Upside Down, and we talked about the fact that in just the past two years, now these are statistics I gave you two years ago, but in 2017 and 2018 combined, anxiety and worry and fear had risen by some 75% among people. That was pre-pandemic. Even in that, even though it had risen so much, still when they asked people in 2019, how many of you are somewhat, at at some point, you're kind of overwhelmed by your fear and your anxiety and your worry. Only 11% said they felt that kind of overwhelming. Last year in December of 2020, 42% overwhelmed by fear and worry and anxiety, that's quite a rise. That's a problem because that's when fear is controlling us rather than us controlling fear. Now, here's what you need to understand. Some fear is good, right? I mean, I mean fear, fear has kept some of you from like making wrong decisions. Fear has, uh, fear has kept you maybe from making the wrong financial move. Fear can sometimes keep you from injury, okay? I'm not going to climb up there and jump down off that because I fear I might break my leg. And it saved you from, wait for it, breaking your leg, okay? So there, there's some fear that's good, isn't there? But, but here's the deal. Fear is a byproduct, Fear is a byproduct, and and that's what we need to understand. Fear is a byproduct of our own accumulated knowledge and experience, and then that is projected into the future. Let me say that to you again. Fear is a byproduct. Fear is a byproduct of our ability to accumulate knowledge... And project it into the future. Now, this is an awesome gift of God. We would love to say just live in a world with no fear. But the truth is that byproduct of our ability to accumulate knowledge and project into the future. Live in a nation where we benefit from that kind of thinking. Right? Right? There, there were people who founded this country and, and, and they accumulated their own knowledge and experience and then they kind of projected into the future of what could be. Now, they had no idea how it would all work out. But we benefit from that. Last week, middle of this service, right? Everything went dark. Boom. All of a sudden, we lost power. And what you realize at that moment is how much you rely on. On the power that you have the electricity that we take for granted I mean we lost everything we lost all the electrical instruments we lost the PA we lost the cameras we lost the the TV sets we lost the lights we lost the heating and cooling we lost it all and you rely so much on that how'd that happen accumulated knowledge Projected into the future. And some guy was like, you know, I think if I do this and this, we might have power. I might be able to light this thing up. You don't want to live without that. Because that is imagination. That is vision. That is dreaming. That's belief. That's, I can't wait you ever say that oh I can't wait I can't wait some of you getting all ready for next Saturday right U of M MSU big game big game undefeated I can't wait what are you doing you're basing that on the knowledge and experience you've had of those games pretty good before and now they're undefeated and you're looking forward you're kind of thinking this could be fun this will be a good time. Maybe you've got something. You're going down Little Caesars Arena for a game or a concert or something. I can't wait. Maybe it's a vacation. I can't wait. What is that from? It's from your accumulated knowledge, and you are projecting it into the future. That's awesome. That's belief. That's imagination, vision, dreaming. The other side, though, is eh, what if? Boy, what if? I guess I'm looking forward to vacation, but what if it rains every day? What if, what if? What's that? That's leaning and playing into our fear, right? So if one is a belief that things could be pretty cool, and one is a fear that things aren't going to work out, it seems like one is leaning towards the side of, faith, and one leans towards the side of fear. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, John chapter 10, you can look it up and check it out later, but Jesus said there is this dude named Satan, and he has come to steal and kill and destroy your life. But I have come to give you life and life to the So, do you want to lean towards faith, or do you want to lean towards fear? Because fear will rob us of opportunities. Fear will destroy relationships, and fear will kill your peace and your joy that we're supposed to experience in Jesus. So how do we control our fear? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna use the words of Jesus and a couple of stories today just to kind of give us a, a foundation for this. A, a quick hitter on maybe where you're at and what you need to do to be in better control of your fear and anxiety and worry rather than letting that control you. Because Jesus had a lot to say about this. In fact, it has been reported, written, and I checked it out, but I didn't count them up. They they say that do not fear, do not worry is mentioned 365 times in the Bible, Old Testament and New. And if that be the case, isn't that amazing that there's one for every day? One for every day. And Jesus had a lot to say about it. And and here's what we want to get to. What we want to get to is the fact that in Jesus, we do not need to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of. Let me say that to you again. In Jesus, we do not need to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of. Because if we actually say, well, there's there's nothing, there's nothing to be afraid of. Hey, why are you living under a rock? Where did you come from? That's that's just our bravado, trying to talk through the fear. There are things that we can be afraid of, but Jesus gives a way to be in control of that. And what He's saying is, I'll side you and help you through your fears, so that they don't overtake and overcome you and your life. And there's a few stories in the New Testament where Jesus, again, guy does not mind some tension, does he? When he's trying to relate a principle in people's lives. And he used the disciples to get some of these lessons across to us. And so I want to share with you Today, from the book of Mark. So, if you've got your Bible, turn to Mark. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 37. Now, this is early in Jesus' ministry, okay? So, he's got some disciples, okay? Some of those guys that, that he has said, you know, hey, I want you to follow me, and they're following. He's done some ministry, he's shared some messages. He's had a day actually here where he has healed, where he's been touching those that were sick and diseased, and and they have gone home completely whole and new. So the disciples have been watching this, and and it's been pretty amazing. They have seen him already do some amazing things. So in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gets into the boat. So what do the disciples do? Well, they do what they're supposed to, right? If Jesus gets in the boat... We follow Jesus into the boat because we're Jesus' followers. So Jesus gets in. The disciples get in. He says, let's go. And they begin to take off across the sea. And some of them are pretty experienced, all right? Some of them, maybe, there's, there's maybe one or two that have never been in a boat before, okay? I can't imagine. Like, you know, Matthew was a great seaman or something. Um, I, I, but I'm thinking, you know, guys like Peter and John, I mean, they've, they've been out before, and, and so they're used to, you know, some bad weather coming up, but a storm comes up. And I mean, it's a doozy. It says in verse 37, a fierce storm came up, and high waves were breaking into the boat and began to fill the boat with water. Now, can you, can you just stop for a minute and put yourself in that story? Just kind of put yourself on the boat, Okay. So, and I know some of you, maybe, you know, church is a new experience, and, and, or, or you're coming back to church after a while, so just imagine you're on a boat, now, not a yacht, okay, you're on a boat of about 2,000 years ago, so it's wooden, right, and it's not a huge ship. I mean, this is a boat that these guys can handle and take care of, but they're on this boat, and this storm comes, and the water is breaking over the stern of the boat. Okay, I mean it's just coming. The boat is going. To whoosh. Water's coming over there. Have you ever jumped on YouTube and watched like huge waves that come ashore, or come over boats or something? It's kind of awesome as long as you're not there in it. Um, and uh, so, so these huge waves are coming in, and the boat's beginning to fill with water. What what happens when that happens? the boat begins to sink, okay? So for those of you that grew up in church, forget the flannel okay? It's not, you know, Jesus and the disciples looking all like Hollywood movie type, you know. No, they're soaked to the bone. and The water is matting their hair down against their face. And what happens? I mean, come on, you've watched enough. You know, have you ever seen the perfect storm with George Clooney? The storm comes up, what are they doing? Are they talking to each other in normal voices? Hey, I think we should go over here. No, they're screaming at each other. I mean, you have to yell in order to be heard above the storm. And so the disciples are yelling. And at first they're barking out trying to maintain control. But then they realize, we are in trouble. And so they go down to wake up Jesus. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Heavy sleeper. Okay. I mean, do you have, in your marriage, is there one of you that can sleep through the storm and another that cannot, you know, he wake up at anything that happens? Jesus is sleeping through this whole thing. And they come and they wake him up. They're yelling, okay. They're not, I I don't think this is, hey, Jesus, Jesus. No, they're soaking wet. They're starting to actually get a little cold, right? If you're out in the water, and even if it's not that cold, you start to get chilled. And they're like shaking Jesus. Jesus! They're yelling at him. You got to wake up. And they say, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? We're going down, Lord. Lord the little string quartet has started playing on the deck. (laughs) Help! They're yelling. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. Then he asked them, wait for it why are you afraid why are you afraid well see Jesus um (laughs) before you said all this there were these waves coming over and I don't you see that up there yeah that's that's water so high and what we're thinking is boat goes down I'm not that strong a swimmer so we're thinking we might drown what do you mean why are we afraid Then he gives him the next key statement, right? He says, do you still have no faith? Do you still have, is he crazy? No, here's the thing. He's not crazy. He's not panicked. Did you notice that? And when they woke Jesus up, he woke up with a shake. What, what's going on? Is that how you wake up when somebody wakes you, startles you? What? What's wrong? Nothing. I had to go to the bathroom. Okay. Jesus just woke up. No cray-cray, no panic, right? He just says, peace, be still. Listen, in the craziness of your life, God's not panicked. God is not panicked. And, and let me give to you just a point to kind of mull over here with this story. Here's, here's, here's the main thrust of this one. Get Jesus to the front of the boat. Where does it say Jesus was? He's in the back sleeping. They're like, uh, Jesus, we need you out here. We need you up here. And listen, for some of you, you got Jesus in the boat, but he's way in the back. You kind of go and rouse him when you get in trouble. Hey, Jesus, and then if he doesn't like, you know, wake up with a startle, we're like, well, where's God? You got to get him to the front of the boat. Some of you, you got Jesus, okay? Okay. You got him, but where is he in the priority list of your life? Well, you know, I mean, I, I got, I got, I got my family. I got to take care of my family, and then, and then my job. I mean, you know, my boss is cray cray, and if I don't do exactly what they want, I lose my. You don't want me to lose my job, so I got my job here, and then I've got. Well, you know, I mean, we got. <laughs> I got these friends. I've had them since, I mean, we basically grew up together, and and I got, so I got, you know, I mean, it's so limited, because this cray-cray boss is making me work all the time, and so my social life, you know, it's very limited, but when it happens, I got, I got that, and then, you know, I've just, I've got these things, and and I don't mean to put them in front of you, but it's just the way life has kind of happened, and all of a sudden, Jesus used to be at the front, and now he keeps backing up and backing up and backing up and backing up. Why don't I hear from God? Because you don't put yourself in a position to hear from God. You're so busy screaming at the wind and each other. You need to get Jesus back to the front of the boat. Where is he when it comes to the priority of your life? Where is he when it comes to the feeding of the spirit and soul of who you are? What are you feeding yourself? And if you are feeding yourself constant worry and constant fear and constant anxiety, then guess where you're going to live. Maybe maybe you're a news junkie, and man, I totally get it. But I'm gonna tell you something. You gotta give your head a break. You gotta give your heart a break once in a while. Cause if you just go 24/7 news, hey, I'm I'm all for it, man. I'm 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 there with you. I I like the way you know the fact that you could turn something on and when something happens half a world away, bam, we've got information. On it. They got coverage. Awesome. But once in a while, you gotta go click. Because otherwise, you will just be filled with all of a sudden, it's not just the anxiety of your heart, your life, your family, it's the anxiety of people a world away. And there's nothing wrong with taking on some of that care and some of that burden. When you hear that there have been 17 missionaries abducted in Haiti, you need to take on a little bit of that burden. We need to take on to that, our, our, make it our prayer. We need to pray that God would intervene on behalf. I mean, you could only imagine. But I'm going to tell you, 24-7, if you just go from one thing to another, you've got to give your heart a break. What are you feeding into your mind? What are you feeding into your heart? And is it laying on top of, on top of, on top of, layer after layer of anxiety and care. Is there any chance that Jesus has kind of been relegated to the back of your boat? Now I got good news. He ain't he slept because he was 100% man. And then he woke up and he was 100% God. <laughs> and he said, peace be still and bam, it was over. But it is possible for us to kind of just push him to the back, layer after layer. And sometimes, sometimes, let me, let me say this to you. Sometimes you don't even mean to do it. It's not something that you purposely are like, okay, you know what? I'm, I, I need to actually shift Jesus back a couple rows. We don't say it consciously, but as you look at your life, is there any chance that you are filling your life with all kinds of things that are adding to your worry, your fear, your anxiety, and you need Jesus to come back to the front cuz that's where he says, hey, knock it off. That's where he says peace, be still. When he gets to the front of the boat. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? The next verse says the disciples were absolutely terrified. You thought they were scared of the storm. Oh, oh, what about the guy who controls the storm? They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this guy? Who is this? Even the winds, and now they'd already seen him heal the sick and the blind, and they'd seen him do some miracles and change some water into wine. And, but this was like, what in the world have we lined ourselves up with? But at the same time, all of a sudden, their confidence in the one who could control the storm was greater than their fear of the storm. Get Jesus to the front of the boat. Now, let me, let me share with you another story here real quick. A uh, little bit later, some time has gone by. They've, they've experienced quite a bit more with Jesus. And now actually... In this same day, they have found out that John the Baptist has been killed, and it's been pretty, pretty gruesome, okay? I mean, they know enough about the details. We know the details, right? Well, you can imagine that John's disciples, who had already had some discussion and discourse with Jesus and his disciples, they had come and told him, John the Baptist is dead, and they, they told him how. And Jesus actually kind of removes himself for a bit. And so you can imagine the disciples just kind of talking. Some of those disciples had actually been disciples of John the Baptist before they started following Jesus. This is the info they get in the morning. The afternoon comes when Jesus comes back from his seclusion. All of a sudden there's a crowd of people. And the crowd just grows and grows and grows. And pretty soon it's thousands of people wanting Jesus to do what Jesus does. And so... He heals, he speaks, he shares. And a good part of the day has gone by and the disciples are like, I think these people are going to start falling off because they're getting hungry. And so they go and say to Jesus, hey, uh, we probably need to feed these people. Maybe we should just send them home. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they're like, well, that'd be great, but we don't have any food. So Jesus says, get what you have. This is when they find that little boy's lunch, and they bring the little guy and his lunch to Jesus, and Jesus blesses the food, gives thanks for it, and then breaks it, and he puts it in their baskets, and he says, pass it out to the people. And the disciples go, and you want to know what happens? They never run out of food. They just keep reaching in and going, I mean, they're pretty sure they knew what Jesus put in the basket. But every time they reach in, there's something else. And they're just kind of like, I mean, you can imagine. And then finally, they get it. We ain't ever going to run out. And in fact, they had enough so that each one of them had one basket of leftovers. So now, it's getting even later in the day, Jesus walks them down to the boat. Now, can you imagine what some of them are thinking? Wait a second. We've ridden on a boat with him before. I'm not sure I want to do this again. So Jesus says, no worries. I'm going to go dismiss the crowd. You guys head across the lake. I'll see you on the other side sometime tomorrow. Okay, feel a little better. So they get on the boat. Starts out as a nice little leisurely cruise, you know. Just the SS minnow. <clears throat> headed on a three-hour cruise. <clears throat> the weather started getting rough. Oh, Sorry, I got... But that's what happened, actually. They get out in the middle of the lake, and it happens again. Can you imagine? I mean, coming from the day that they've just had. Isn't it bad enough? John the Baptist. He was our dear friend. We knew about him. Who's to say we're not next on Herod's hit list? And then... Big storm, and this time there is no Jesus. And they're trying to go against this headwind, and they are not, they can't see land anywhere around them. They are making no progress at all. And it says in Matthew chapter 14 later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was a considerable distance from the land. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They were terrified. They're like, okay, I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. It's bad enough that they're out there in a stormy sea again and the boat is being buffeted, and all they can remember is, oh man, here we go again. But there ain't no Jesus. And then all of a sudden, there's somebody walking across the water and they are scared. And at this point in time, maybe even one or two of them are really glad that their clothes are soaking wet, if you know what I'm saying. They are scared, they are nervous. They are terrified. In fact, in Mark, most people think that Mark wrote his gospel from the story of Peter, that Peter was the one relating to John Mark this firsthand experience. And and Peter describes it, and Mark describes it as fear upon fear, a fear that had never been experienced because all of a sudden, that is a ghost walking on the water. then what happens? But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. Did the winds calm down? No. Was the ship making any better progress? No. What's going on? Jesus says, I'm here. That's enough to remove your fear. That's enough to remove your fear. However, this story has a second part to it. This story keeps going. Part of, the reason, part of the reason that this story is so incredible is because of the eyewitness accounts that we have of it. Christians, of course, are going to say, well, the reason we believe this story is because it's in the Bible." and the Bible says and that's good but what do you do with that person who's like okay you know what I can buy maybe Jesus saying peace be still and maybe at that exact moment the storm kind of blew out you know so the timing was good but walking on the water I don't know if I can buy that one here's the deal back in that day when you were writing accounts of your life or the life of someone important You left out the embarrassing parts. The disciples didn't. I mean, if you were writing that story just from human consumption, wouldn't you say we saw what looked like a ghost and we said, ha, I'm not afraid. I smite you, ghost of the water. That's not what any of them said. Every account says we were absolutely terrified, scared. We had no idea what's going on. And Jesus says, it's I. So then the story takes a turn. And they realize after he's spoken that it's Jesus. And so Peter, he says, Lord, if it's you, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. What is up with that? Peter got down out of the boat and walked out, of, walked out on the water towards Jesus. Can I tell you something? For some of you, It might be that the way God is leading you to take control of your fear and your worry, you got to get out of the boat. You've got to get out of the boat. You've been playing it safe. You've been playing it comfortable. But God is nudging in your heart. And the truth is, and I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, yeah, yeah, but Billy, didn't Peter sink? Yeah. Yeah, you just, you keep reading that, that scripture and it says that he saw the wind. That's how bad the wind was, right? He can't see the wind. But Peter sure thought he could. The waves, the height of which were probably over his head, all of a sudden he saw his circumstances, All of a sudden, he saw his situation, and he began to sink. What did he do? He cried out, Lord. And immediately, the Lord lifted him up. And what does the Lord say to him? You of little faith, why did you doubt? Can I tell you something? You want to know what Peter did? You want to know what Peter was able to talk about for the rest of his life? You know what he was able to share in front of the other disciples that none of them could? I got out of the boat, and for a few moments, I was walking on the water. And if I'd have just kept my focus on him, I'd have been fine. How many of you guys walk on the water? Oh, just, just, just me? Oh, all right. How did he walk on water? Ready? He got out of the boat. He got out of the boat. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what that next step is. And sometimes and especially maybe coming out of this past year and a half with all of the difficulties and challenges and all of a sudden we kind of want to hunker down in our boat just a bit more. But is it possible that God is challenging you? Step out of the boat and see if I don't respond. I have no idea what that could be for you. Maybe that class that you need to take. Maybe for some of you, you need to go back and get your GED. Maybe some of you need to enroll in college. Maybe some of you need to look at that job placement opportunity that's in front of you. Maybe you need to go after that promotion instead of just constantly saying, no, I'm not going to get it. I didn't get it the last time. What if so and so gets it? I'll be so No, no, no. Stop playing into that fear. Maybe there's somebody in your family that you need to share Christ with. You need to invite him to church. You need to step out into a ministry. I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know if you need to step out of the boat and let Jesus help you walk on the water. And as, as I thought of it, it's interesting, um, our, our church anniversary is like the second week in November. We haven't done much with it because, you know, it's kind of like 67. I don't know, it's not one of those, you know, you celebrate the big ones, right? So when we get to 70, we'll have a big hoopla. But I got thinking about it, walking around this building, realizing That the reason we enjoy this is because 67 years ago, a group of 10 or 11 people met in a little old rickety schoolhouse on Eureka and said, yeah, let's give it a shot. The reason that we're here is because of generations of people who gave of their time and their resource and their giftedness, who stepped over the boat when it came time for them And now that baton gets handed down to us. And we are not just accumulating knowledge and experience for our own comfort. We've got to project into the future and see the generations that come beyond us. Say, well, Billy, I think the Lord's going to come. Yeah, so do I. But you know what? They've been talking about that for 2,000 years. You want to know what? The Lord is gracious concerning his promise, not willing that any should perish. And he so wants other people to come to know him. And so until he comes, or until he calls you and I home, we've got to be about our Father's business. And it's time for us to give of ourselves and our resource to make it happen for the next generation. Because we stand on the shoulders of the people who came before. And even some of you, I mean, honestly, some of you were part of a vote a number of years ago that said, you know what, let's, let's put up for sale our comfort zone. And trust me, I, that was my comfort zone been my comfort zone all my life. and Here's the deal. Sometimes if you look back on everything that it took for you to get where you are, you might be like, eh, I don't know if I'd do that again. But when you're reflecting, look at the faithfulness of God and how he took you from where you were to where you are, then it should the resolve we need to step out of the boat alright I gotta be done so can I give you one more the end of that story is pretty cool and when they climbed into the boat when who climbed into the boat? Jesus he brought Peter with him because Peter was sinking you know what Peter said? Lord and Jesus reached out and saved him and it says when they both got in the boat the winds calmed down It was still blowing, still storming, waves still crashing until Jesus got in the boat. And then everything died down. For some of you, you need to invite Jesus into your boat. I've been on a few boats in my life. I've been on some really nice boats. I'll tell you this I've never gone uninvited. I didn't just go down to the marina and wind out or grow zeal, go up to somebody's boat and say, hey, coming aboard. (laughs) Gotta be invited. Gotta be invited. Been on some nice boats down in Florida. Had to be invited. Even my wife was like, you can't invite yourself. Got to be invited. You want to know what? It's the same thing with Jesus. In fact, he says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. And if you will open the door, if you'll invite me in, he says, I'll come in. And I'll have a meal with you. I say, well, what is that? That's relationship. That's relationship. As much as I love Outback Steakhouse, I have never gone there and then just told the hostess, I'm with that table over there, and pulled up a chair and sat down. Can I join you? I just want to share a meal. You know, I know you're celebrating, it looks like you're celebrating somebody's birthday. <laughs> Great, I just want <laughs> a steak. Just looking for some cheese fries, that's all. Doesn't work that way, does it? When do you eat meals together with, with people you have a relationship with? That's why Jesus says, I, I want to come in and have a meal with you. I want a relationship. I, I don't want... I don't want to be a responsibility. I don't want you to look at me as a religion. I want a relationship. And when I have a relationship with you, that's when I can help you control and even to a certain extent overcome the fear. But if it's just a religion, if it's just a responsibility, that's not why I'm knocking on the door. And for too many people, it's just about the religion. It's just about, it's just, here's my list of things to do, and oh, I got I to gotta do the church thing, because that's what I do. But it's not about enhancing the relationship, it's just the responsibility. We're missing out. Jesus says, I'm, I'm knocking at your door, and i in. Yeah. Now listen, listen to me. I'll share a couple of uh, Baptist things with you here, all right? Can I do that? Here's, Here's one thing. When you open the door, he comes in. Here's what you need to know. He stays, okay? You mess up. He's not running back outside the door. Oh, I'm out. You messed up. You open the door. He comes in. He stays there. You may have relegated him to the back. You may need to get rid of some of the clutter that you've put in front of him, but he's there. He's there. Here's the other thing. It's got to be yours. I stand at your heart's door, Jesus said. Well, okay, so, but like, My dad, he opened the door, so I'm in. No. 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 Your heart. And my fear, my fear is that some of you, out of embarrassment because, well, everybody thought that I made that decision ages ago. Can I tell you something? I've sat at the bedside of far too many people who are on the edge of eternity. And I know that I know that I know that I know it makes a difference when you know Christ. Makes a difference. Don't mess with that invitation. Let him on the boat. Let him make a difference. So Peter at the end, I'm wrapping up, I'm done. 12.10, we're out of here. Go eat. Peter gets down near the end of his life and ministry and he's writing. Dude messed up in two boat stories, right? And he was scared in both of them. You want to know what he says, though? At the end of it, even though he, he, even though he hadn't quite conquered his fear yet, even though, even though there's that story of him being so scared of his surroundings and circumstances that he, you know, cusses up a blue streak in front of a middle school girl to prove that he's not with Jesus. He messed up big, but yet now on the other side of the resurrection, he has seen this Jesus who said, peace be still. He's seen him alive. And now he is transformed in courage and power. And so he gets down near the end and he's writing To followers of Jesus, and he says, Hey, let me let me just mention something to you. And the earlier you get this, the better. Cast all your care upon him. Because he cares for you. Cast all your fear, all your worry, all your anxiety. Put it all on him. He cares for you. He cares for you. Let him in. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. I wonder as we wrap up today, maybe you're here with us. Maybe you're watching with us online. And if you were honest enough, you'd say, I don't know if there's been that moment when I have said yes to Christ. I don't know if there's been that moment when I invited him to come into my heart and be my Savior. You can make that decision right now, right here, wherever you're at. Peter cried out, Lord, and he was saved. Paul wrote the same thing in Romans chapter 10 when he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus says, I'm standing at your heart's door. I just need you to open the door and let me in. If you want to do that today, if, if that's a decision you want to make in your life, then I want to lead you in this prayer. There's nothing earth-shattering about the prayer. You can pray your own, but if, if that's a decision that you want to make, you want to know that Christ lives in you, you want to know that when you call on him, he listens, then I want to lead you in this prayer. Just simply say this. You say it in your heart. You don't need to say it out loud. Dear Jesus, I do believe You are who you say you are. I believe you loved me. You died for me. You rose again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin and save me. I make you the Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer today, we believe that you were born again. And just in the quietness of this moment with our heads still bowed, would you just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer, and I invited Christ to come into my life. God bless you. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer, and I invited Christ to come into my life. If you're watching with us online, our online platform has a tab that's come up. You can hit that button. It says, today I accepted Christ but let us know of your decision. We believe it's the greatest decision you could ever make because now he's in the boat. He's in your life. Father, thank you that when we call on you, you listen. You respond. You don't always respond the way we'd like. And Lord, we live in a world that is seemingly not getting any better. And it could be easy for us to be inundated with just the fear and concerns of living in this day and age, let alone the the personal difficulties and challenges that each person listening today faces. But Lord, if there's one thing we can grab from these stories, it's that we don't Face them alone. It's that your presence makes a difference. But it's also the priority that we give your presence. Lord, for those today who have accepted you as their personal Savior, I I ask that you do something in their lives in the next few days in a tangible way to help them realize the importance of the decision they just made. And for all of us, Lord, who have known you, no matter how many years it has been, may we endeavor to walk in the newness of life that only comes from a relationship with you. Thanks for meeting with us here today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.